Last month, we had the Sustainable Development uh, Goals Summit here in New York, marking the halfway point to the deadline of achieving the 2030 Agenda. In Lebanon, can you tell us more about the UN work to help in achieving the Sustainable Development Goals? Um, thank you. I'm very happy to be here with you today. Um, unfortunately, the last four years in, in Lebanon has really taken us... I mean, globally, we know that there are a lot of challenges. Things have slowed down, um, COVID, a uh, whole set of crises at this point. But in Lebanon, it's been um, a, a series of different crises um, unfolding upon each other. Um, there's been COVID, there's been the Beirut Plast, there's been a financial and economic crisis that the World Bank describes as one of the worst 10 such crises since the mid-19th century. So Lebanon used to be on a good track until about four years ago. And th it, it has um, regressed incredibly. So the, the challenges that we have as a UN country team, um, as well as basically the international community that's trying to help uh, Lebanon are, are huge. Um, we've been set back. Mm -hmm. um, so the idea right now is very much to get the country team to focus on particular areas where we think something can be done. Um, and as we know, you know, with the SDGs, they're connected, right? And one of the, the areas that connects actually quite a number of SDGs is food systems. And food systems is an area that we see as, as, as one of recovery in, in Lebanon. So with the Food Systems Summit earlier, the, the stock-taking moment, and then the SDG Summit, mm -hmm. we supported and worked with our partners. And here it, it goes beyond just government. It's in, in this case, we've got a parliamentarian that's the national convener. Um, so food systems is one area that we're trying to get the relevant UN agencies around, um, working with the relevant partners on, on the uh, national side, not just governmental, mm. um, and uh, seeing what can be accelerated. Lebanon's a very talented place, but it is facing a great deal of difficulties. Mm. Similarly, on health, education, and social protection. These are areas where we feel something can be done, even despite the overall economic and financial crisis, but only if we are pushing for reforms in these areas as well. So that's why it's quite crucial to make sure that the way we go ahead with this is quite inclusive, um, meaning it's not just government and UN and donors discussing, but to try to get parliamentarians in the discussion, mm -hmm. as well as um, civil society actors. So in, in this case, what can be the actions needed uh, to navigate through the multi-layer uh, uh, crisis in Lebanon? Well, the key, the key overall macro issue in Lebanon is reforms. Um, you had uh, a little over a year ago an IMF um, staff level agreement with, with, with Lebanon. And the most, and there have been a number of IMF missions since then, and the most recent, again, um, expressed dismay that things mm -hmm. have not moved on that track. Um, as you may be aware, there's a political impasse, there's no president, there's a caretaker government, and parliament really hasn't been convening. So we have a political impasse in, in Lebanon at this point. And the 
sort of macroeconomic um, reforms that need to take place in the banking sector, etc., are not really moving. And that's yeah. blocking a lot of the financing that is needed to move in, in this way. Mm -hmm. So again, it goes back to trying to find some small wins, some small areas that one can work on. So what is needed exactly to help in dealing with the increasing needs of the refugee population and what are the main challenges right now? The main challenges as far as the, the refugee context is, um, I mean, there are two in a, in a sense. Um, one is that unfortunately we're 12 years, we're going into 13 years of this crisis and we're not at the point of solutions. The solutions uh, lie basically in voluntary repatriation or resettlement to a third country. Mm -hmm. um, last year there were perhaps um, slightly over 7,000 people that resettled to a third country and there is no main major voluntary repatriation at all happening at this time. So you have um, a population of some one and a half million uh, refugees in Lebanon um, that have been there now for 12-13 years. Um, so one side is trying to work on the political track, trying to work on finding the solutions and moving towards those, and, and that again is mainly voluntary repatriation. Um, and the solutions are not humanitarian, yep. the solutions are very much political on that side. The other side is trying to manage the presence. Um, there has been a, a real upswell at different points, and now again it's at, at, a, at a crescendo of a lot of anti-Syrian rhetoric in, yeah. in Lebanon. Um, and this, this has been exacerbated because of the last four years, because of the socioeconomic crisis that Lebanon is in, because of the impoverishment that's happened over the last few years, um, and the need for assistance for all, a whole set of different populations yeah. in Lebanon. Yeah. So th that will lead me to the next question, which is the disinformation and misinformation campaigns targeting uh, the uh, Syrian refugees and the refugees in general, refugee popu population in Lebanon. So what should be done to protect uh, refugees from those campaigns? I mean, one of the first of all, I think one needs to understand that um, Lebanon has been incredibly generous. Um, over the years, and not just with Syrian refugees. I mean, its history has, has been one of that. It's not a signatory to the convention, but I think um, in a lot of ways it does a lot better than a lot of countries that are signatory mm -hmm. to the convention. So they have, have been extremely generous and welcoming um, in terms of refugees. Right now it's an issue of trying to, on the one hand, um, explain that the UN, the international community, that our presence there is very much to assist Lebanon, the Lebanese, the Lebanese government in handling this refugee uh, crisis mm -hmm. that they have, this burden. Um, since 2015, I think in terms of, of re uh, assistance geared towards not just the refugees but host populations, the impact 
on Lebanese institutions, on host communities, etc., has been something around $12 billion. So it's huge. Last year it was, it was close to $1.4 billion that was brought in to try and assist with, with, with all of this. So it's a bit of correcting the misinformation and disinformation that is there, yeah. of trying to make sure that people understand actually what the facts are, that um, we are at this time, for example, assisting probably around one million refugees and one million Lebanese, and then in addition to that, Palestine refugees and, and migrants. Mm -hmm. So um, it's about getting across the message that we're our, our interventions are based on need, and the needs, unfortunately, are huge right now, mm -hmm. and they're across all populations. The resources are not enough. Yeah. So it's a lot about communicating, but it's in a situation of a political vacuum right now, which is also making things very, very difficult. Yeah. So if we talk about uh, the most compelling humanitarian uh, needs, uh, what can those be? At the moment, um, I mean, the needs are, are across the board. I mean, if in yeah. terms of, um, you know, the ability of people to be able to try to survive, the, the, um, the level of assistance we're providing is below what we consider the minimum survival uh, basket, in a mm -hmm. sense. The inflation, for example, um, in food prices over the last couple of years has been over 2,000%. Uh, according to WFP. The number of people in need has increased a great deal. Yeah. So while there's a great deal for humanitarian sort of life-saving type of his assistance, mm -hmm. when you're close to the populations, they talk about trying to um, sustain themselves and do whatever you can on, on that. So our programming right now is very much focused on um, more sustainable interventions, not just pure humanitarian. Mm -hmm. So if we move to another uh, point, which is uh, the violence that erupted uh, recently in one of the refugee camps, which is Ain al-Hilwa. So what are the ramifications of that incident uh, which affected many uh, because of that? And uh, especially uh, we know now that uh, there is more than 11,000 uh, Palestine refugee children uh, were not able to join their peers uh, at the beginning of the school year. Yeah, the, the, the recent flare-ups in Ain al-Hilwe, of which there have been two, are um, very, very worrying. Um, and for us, the, the, the prime concern, as you were saying, um, is to try and bring some stability back there. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly because uh, the, the children are out of school, and at the moment the schools are not going to open. And it's not just Ain al-Hilwe, but Saida generally. It affects the whole city in a way, yeah. the, the insecurity in this camp um, in southern in southern part of Lebanon. Um, the front line in these clashes has been actually the schools. They've been used. So the first thing is to try and get those, get some sort of a, a cessation. At the moment, there is a bit of a cessation. But unless you have real demilitarization, in a sense, of, of the camp and of that area uh, and, and the various militias that are facing each other off on yeah. that, you're not going to get anything sustainable on it. So it's a challenge that requires the proper level of mediation. It needs, again, a political solution to it. Um, 
and finding some sort of a formula because as you were saying it's it's you know it's it's uh, 11,000 children that need to be mm -hmm. um, back in school